This is Condopedia. Here, we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor mixed in. Hello, listeners. Uh, it's David again with another episode of Condopedia. Um, so this is the final episode of our mini-series with respect to tearing on matters. And I have with me another new guest, uh, Emily Dung. So Emily is another lawyer here at DHA. And as with tradition with having new guests on the show, I would like Emily to introduce herself and say a few words about what she does. I'm a relatively new lawyer. I'm in my third year of practice, but I've been with DHA since 2019. So essentially all of my time as a practicing lawyer has been within the condo law world. Um, And uh, in my practice, I deal with all sorts of a broad range of issues from reviewing governing documents to um, things like building deficiency litigation, probably fairly similar to David's practice as well. So there's all sorts of issues that come up in the condominium context that I see on a regular basis in my practice. And it's all very exciting and sometimes very unexpected. Fantastic. Uh, Let's get started. So Emily is going to talk a bit about conciliation and the conciliation process. So um, Emily, I I guess the first step we can take is kind of go over a little bit of a recap about how we get to that stage of conciliation um, and, um, and then we can talk a bit about what happens after that step. All right. So there is during conciliation, there is a pre-conciliation period of about 90 days where the builder has the opportunity to resolve, um, any claims that are warranted. After this period, Terion goes ahead to schedule the conciliation inspection where they review items on the common element request, um, any items that are being requested, being uh, requested to conciliate by Terion, and they will make a determination in a warranty assessment report about their decision as to whether or not particular items are warranted. Um, this is also known as the conciliation assessment report. All right. I think that's the perfect segue to the next topic is what exactly is a warranty assessment report slash conciliation report? So the conciliation assessment report um, is a document that Terion uses to set out all of the items that a condominium or a homeowner would have re- requested for conciliation on their request for conciliation form. So if there are any items that the homeowner or condominium corporation uh, wanted to be conciliated, that those items would be on would be identified in the warranty assessment report. And Terry on for each of those items would make a determination as to whether the item is warranted under the Ontario New Home Warranties Plan Act. And if the determination by Terry on is that the item is warranted, then it would be the builder's responsibility to correct the um, item. And how long would that take? Uh, like, is there a timeline for the builder to correct the item if uh, Terry on finds the item to be warrantable? Right. So after the conciliation assessment report is uh, issued, the builder is provided a copy as well as uh, you as the homeowner or condominium board. And the builder is given one final opportunity to resolve or repair the warranted items. 
There is up to a maximum of 90 days during this period provided um, to the builder. So that's 90 days from the date of the issuance of the warranty assessment report or conciliation assessment report. And so that builder has that time to resolve all of the items identified in the um, report that are deemed to be warranted. And for items that are found not to be warranted, Terion will issue a decision letter to the corporation or homeowner setting out those items that are not warranted. Right. We're getting close to talking about disputes. And uh, there's one thing I, uh, sorry if I actually touching your toes there, Emily, but there's one thing I want to mention with respect to decision letters is um, make sure to request them. I'm not sure if it's, I don't think, Terrian's more recent practice is to not provide them, but I know that in the past we've had instances where, um, you know, when things get shuffled around, things can get lost in the mud. So mm-hmm. for items that are not warranted, it's always a good idea to get that dis- uh, decision letter. And I'm going to ask Emily now as to why the decision letter is so important for the right. next steps. Yeah, exactly. Um, as David mentioned, it's important to get the decision letter from Terion to make that request if it isn't already provided by Terion automatically, because the decision letter will set out Terion's decision with respect to items that are not warranted. And that document will also provide the rights of appeal to you as the uh, homeowner or condominium corporation, the rights of appeal to um, a tribunal called the License Appeal, appeal Tribunal. And Receipt of the decision letter will also start um, the clock on the timeline to appeal. So once you get that decision letter, it's important to track the deadline that you receive it because you'll have 30 days from the date of receipt of the decision letter to make an appeal um, regarding to challenge Terion's decision, essentially regarding their decision not to warrant an item. Um, If you want to make an appeal, you'll need to do that within the timeline and file your notice of appeal within the 30 days. Okay. Now, this is a question that Emily is very well qualified to answer because she's been at the License Appeal Tribunal. Can you tell us a little bit about that tribunal and what that process is like? Right. So actually, um, David and I did this License Appeal Tribunal hearing together, and it was with respect to um, a challenge of Terion's decision regarding not a warranted item, but it was a decision that Terion had made not to provide an extension to the corporation for the time to request conciliation. So they had they had denied the request to extend that timeline, and we appealed to the License Appeal Tribunal to try and change that decision. Um, So the license appeal tribunal process is fairly informal, um, but it is similar to a court process. It starts with the filing, as I mentioned, of the notice of appeal to the license appeal tribunal. And then a case conference is scheduled with the tribunal. um, And it's not in person. This will usually take place over teleconference. So it will be a conference call between the tribunal member yourself as a representative of the corporation or the corporation's lawyer and the uh, build, the representative for the builder as well. And during that initial case conference, the discussion is just regarding narrowing down the issues to be um, dealt with at the hearing by the tribunal or also settling some issues if possible so that uh, the tribunal hearing can proceed as efficiently as possible. Right, and I just wanna add um, it's more informal than a court proceeding in terms of, uh, well, the one that Emily and I did was virtual, but um, the one that was traditionally done pre-COVID 
was in a hotel conference room. So we're not right. in a courtroom mm-hmm. and uh, we wear suits and rather than um, Robes. Uh, the gowns yeah. that we'll wear at court. So, all right, Emily. So we were, we're talking about, I guess, the case that we were going after, like we were dealing with last year with respect to kind of appealing um, a decision by the uh, Terry and Corporation to refuse an extension of time. Can you inform our listeners a little bit about this aspect of this category of appeal? Like what kind mm-hmm. of mechanisms are we ta- specifically talking about here? Right. So um, the decisions regarding extensions for timelines is something that can also be appealed uh, in addition to decisions regarding warranted items. So However, it's important to remember, first and foremost, that you want to do your best not to miss your time, your deadlines, because then we get into sort of a dispute about whether or not a situation is qualified to receive an extension. And right. um, it it can be a challenging process, as uh, David and I have experienced um, yeah. on and this I think topic. This, this points to I, what we were talking about in the previous episodes about uh, making sure you're maintaining your timelines. Exactly. It's super duper important. Now, yeah. obviously, Emily is going to talk about how uh, some mechanisms to fix errors mm-hmm. if timelines are missed. But it's I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to just try to uh, uh, meet those deadlines. Yeah. So this really is a last resort. And it's something that you don't want to be relying on um, at the outset. Um, but if it does come to a situation where an extension needs to be requested, uh, the regulations under the Ontario New Home Warranties Plan Act does give Terrion the authority to grant exceptions to timelines for submission of warranty forms or requesting conciliation in a very limited number of circumstances. So um, these circumstances include where a builder is unable or unwilling to repair or resolve the warranted items or a warranty claim relates to items involving health, safety, or seasonal repairs or emergency repairs, Um, a category known as other extraordinary circumstances, which can be uh, expanded upon, Um, or if it's a situation involving specified timelines that begin in, end in, or span the period between December 24th of one year to January 1st of the following year. So the circumstances are quite limited. And um, if you do end up going to the license appeal tribunal on a request for an extension, if that's the issue in dispute, um, you'll you'll need essentially to prove that your situation qualifies and falls into one of these categories in order to uh, receive um, a request or sorry, uh, an approval of um, extension of time. So Emily, you just listed out the the main factors in which qualifies for an extension of time. Um, I think most of those points are fairly clear cut. I guess the one that's going to be a bit more uh, subject to scrutiny is the extraordinary circumstances provision. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about what that kind of means? Because it can be, uh, it can mean different things to different people. Right. So that's right. The extraordinary circumstances category is quite broad and um, the tribunal will look at if that is the category that is being brought put forth in the hearing, the tribunal will be looking at the facts of the situation on a case by case basis. Each situation will be different to make a decision as to whether um, your particular circumstances would be considered extraordinary. Um, 
So one example I can give of a previous case that the Tarion, uh, that the sorry, license appeal tribunal has decided um, was a case where the appellant uh, who was requesting an extension of time for the deadline to request conciliation was putting forth the request based on extraordinary circumstances. In that case, the appellant's engineer advised the property manager that the conciliation request had to be filed within a week. And the property manager misunderstood the timing um, based on that comment and missed the deadline by one day. In addition, the property manager's wife in that, uh, in that case had recently died and he was the only property manager on site for that condominium and was extremely busy with his other tasks. So Tarion did send reminder letters. And in fact, it turned out that Tarion's reminder letters had been sent to the wrong property manager and that the board of directors at that condominium corporations were generally unresponsive. So it was sort of what the tribunal described it as, as was a perfect storm, which amounted to extraordinary circumstances. So um, it really, as you can see, it really depends on the specific set of circumstances that uh, you're putting forth at a hearing. However, it's, it's important to remember that there is a fairly high threshold to, to meet when you're trying to describe whether a a set of facts does meet the extraordinary circumstance category. Right. And I know that with working with Emily on like our case, um, there isn't a lot of case law to kind of uh, interpret what extraordinary circumstances means. And also the other thing um, I think I should mention is that decisions of the license appeal tribunal are not binding. So it's not like in, um, a normal court proceeding where if you have a decision on a certain circumstance, if another circumstance comes up, there is a bit of a precedent there that the subsequent judge can use Um, for matters uh, before any, really any tribunal, but including the license appeal tribunal. um, It's not necessarily that a previous decision on a similar topic is going to result in the same result for a new proceeding of a similar topic, even though obviously if the facts are similar, there's going to be some persuasion associated mm-hmm. with the previous case. With these types of cases, it's super important to kind of have an independent review of the facts to make right. the ultimate decision. And um, I just wanted to touch on before we go ahead um, on the, I guess, the factors that are common in cases where um the tribunal exercises its discretion to grant extensions. So these are, there's four factors. And the first is whether the appellant had the intention to appeal before the time of the appeal had elapsed. Uh, Second, whether the appellant has a reasonable explanation for missing the deadline for appeal. The third, the length of the delay. And fourth, whether the appeal appeal is meritorious. So in that previous um, case that I was talking about, these four categories were essentially met. So the, the tribunal right. did find that the appellant at- intended to appeal before the time for appeal had elapsed. They had a reasonable explanation for missing the deadline and the deadline was only missed by one day and the appeal was not shown to be without merit. So those right. four categories were met and the tribunal did find for those reasons that uh, this was a situation where the extraordinary circumstances were met. Right. And I want to just add up on the point of delay um, is 
in that case that you mentioned, Emily, like they missed the deadline by, do you say a week or one day? One day. It was one day. day. Okay, yeah. yeah. So even if you miss the deadline, I think it's super important to kind of, uh, and you have the intention to appeal, it's super important to make that request to say, or inform carry on to say, oh, we intend to appeal the decision letter or to appeal the decision ASAP, right? Because I think exactly. if the deadline's missed, that's that's unfortunate. And obviously there's going to be some steps that need to be taken to remedy that. But I think what the tribunal has said, and it, it makes sense is that, you know, everyone makes mistakes. And so sometimes mis- uh, deadlines can be missed. Having said that, the moment that deadline being missed is discovered, it's important to take as, uh, steps as quickly as possible to try and get that process started of fixing that mistake. Yeah. Um, because the tribunal will know that um, oftentimes with these building deficiency issues, these are hundreds or even millions of dollars of exactly. work that needs to be done. So it's very important to have the necessary uh, remedies available. And you don't want to have your remedies being eliminated because of human error. So right, right. yeah, those are things to keep in mind of. It's um, always better that, also to err on the side of requesting conciliation in this particular situation, rather than not just to make sure yeah. that you are not missing your deadline um, on the on the chance that you end up needing conciliation with carry on. Right, right. Well, okay. Um, I think we can also talk about um, what it's like to appeal a decision with respect to warranty items. Um, so I did a case with Christy. This was years ago now when I was an article student. And then when I was also a first year lawyer on a similar topic. And basically when we're dealing with warranty claims and you're appealing a decision by Tarion, that exercise of whether or not Tarion's decision is um, is the correct one in the eyes of a tribunal, that exercise is a lot more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is a lot more scientific, I wanna say, you mm-hmm. know, sorry, not so, technical. Is a lot more technical than what we discussed just now about missing a deadline. And I think that makes sense because, you know, with building deficiencies, Oftentimes, the debate amongst the uh, parties is of a technical nature. So, what like how how that, what that means is as follows: because like when you're dealing with building defects within the warranty claim, uh, Tarion often has certain uh, technical standards that are in play as to whether or not they're warrantable or not. And I think it touches on what Christy said last episode about how the remedies that you have under the Tarion warranty program can be different than the remedies you have in um, normal court proceedings. And I'm not going to touch on it too much today because it's a whole new episode, but the short kind of answer to about this topic is basically that um, when you're going ahead and appealing a decision from Tarion about a warranty item that they say is not warranted, uh, you're going to need more often than most, more often than not, uh, expert advice on your side to kind of support your position, uh, because oftentimes there's a bit of a debate amongst the parties on a technical level as to whether or not uh, the item is warrantable 
from a technical perspective and from the standards that Terrion has with respect to certain items. One other thing, you know, uh, Emily, that I think we forgot to mention that's uh, that the lab has different than the courts is with respect to costs. What, one thing about costs is that um, the costs that you incur as a party at a lab proceeding, you're typically not uh, entitled to seek a contribution from the other party for those costs, even if you win. So for example, you know, in like in a normal court proceeding, you're suing party B, you incurred $30,000 worth of costs for suing party B, you win. The standard, obviously there's a lot of exceptions and other conditions, but I'm not gonna talk about it. The standard is you get uh, 50 to 60% of those costs. So say you got 66% of those costs back, the judge awards you 66%. So you incur $30,000 worth of legal costs, you get $20,000 of legal costs back in addition to the damages you receive from winning your case. Now, in the, at the LAT, that's a bit different because at the License Appeal Tribunal, the presumption is that costs are not awarded. So what that means is um, I incur my own costs, they incur their own costs. Now, there is an exception if uh, there is some egregious uh, misconduct by a party within the context of a proceeding. Th that's the kind of standard that you meet. The presumption is that you don't actually pay costs to either party, regardless of what you win or lose. So from a strategic perspective, there's some things that you can get from that. First, it means that if you win, you're not going to get your legal costs back. So that can be a consideration sometimes if you're considering whether or not to pursue a, a, a LAT appeal or not. Having said that, if you lose, the standard presumption is you're not going to have to pay the other party's cost. So that could also kind of factor into the calculations you make when you are um, uh, considering whether or not to make an appeal or not. Uh, these are all very complicated issues. So it's generally a good idea um, if you're faced with a potential appeal of a Ethereum decision to kind of talk with a lawyer about this since um, there's a bit of a tech, there's a lot of technical requirements. And as we mentioned about, if we're having to request an extension of a deadline, a very fact-specific analysis that has to be done to see right. whether or not uh, it's a worthwhile exercise. Um, now, the also the added benefit of going through the tribunal is it's generally cheaper because it's less of a less, as Millie more mentioned, informal, less yeah. formal. Yeah, it's less formal than a court process, so it's generally cheaper. It's designed to kind of arrive at a resolution quicker. Um, there's also checks and balances with that, considering that you're not going to get your cost back if you win. So. But on the flip side, it's if you're unsure about even if in a situation where you're unsure about whether to appeal or not, because you won't be subject to those cost consequences that would be um, a part of a court action. It might be something that swings in favor of going to the appeal right. just to see if you could get a decision altered by uh, by the tribunal. Yeah, and th that could be something that in a specific circumstance, they, like the party thinks about. Granted, also, you have to incur costs yourself to kind of go through it. If you right. want to have a lawyer kind of run things, you can, in theory, uh, represent yourself. Um, 
and you, you can see that when you go through lab decisions, you can see that some owners represent themselves. And sometimes they are successful, but uh, obviously going through Terion proceeding, not sorry, not Terion proceeding, going through a lab proceeding against Terion um, as a self-represented person can be a very daunting task, considering that oftentimes a self-rep does not have expertise in the area, is doing these things on their spare time. Um, and the opposing party, this is their bread and butter. Uh, exactly, yeah. They do this for a living. <laughs> um, they have all the technical expertise that we often see as being needed at the tribunal. So uh, those are also things um, to keep mindful of. Um, but I think we're almost at the end of our episode. Um, we talked a little about conciliation and uh, the, the Terry on warranty assessment reports. But then we also start talking about the avenues of appeal, which included one of the lack cases we did. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't sure if we we're going to go down that route, but um, that's fine. I think that's pretty good information to have. Is there anything in addition, Emily, that you think uh, our listeners should be aware of before we end off this episode? Um, I guess I would really just want to emphasize the importance of tracking timelines. And I know this is something that was stressed in a previous episode, but again, I'm going to say it again, that it's uh, vital to be aware of your Terion deadlines, the timelines that you need to request conciliation or to submit particular warranty forms. You want to make sure that that is done um, so that you're not giving up any rights that you might have. Uh, with respect to warranted items and as particularly with respect to this episode um, regarding the notice of appeal and the timing on when to file your notice of appeal in order to preserve your rights to appeal if you're going to want to challenge a decision uh, by Terry on. So it's just extremely important to be aware of deadlines um, as we've been saying throughout this episode and the previous one as well. Well, I think that's, Obviously, deadlines is not a very fun topic, but I think it's a really good topic to end up on because like I see Tertarian process as a whole as making sure you're meeting those deadlines. Exactly. Because right? yep. that's the only way to preserve your rights. And so for if you're a new condominium, sometimes building deficiencies can cost millions of dollars and you want to make sure that you're retained as, many, as much of those rights as you can is to make sure that the new owners of a new building are not responsible for um, fixing the building defects that are there. Yeah, you're so, really just avoiding um, a lot of headache and expense yeah. by uh, meeting those deadlines in the first place. Okay, well, Emily, thanks for coming on to the show today to talk about a very important topic to kind of end off on our mini series. And uh, I hope to have you on again uh, talking about potentially another topic in the future episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsonconolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.